0: Hi, and welcome to The Insiders by Durham Lane, where we get perspectives from industry thought leaders about strategies that are unifying marketing and sales cycles to help accelerate growth inside
1: your world.
0: Hello and welcome to the Insider's Sales and Marketing Podcast. I'm Simon Hazeldean, a sales transformation strategist and sales performance consultant, helping my clients get more sales, more often with more margin. I'm also a keynote speaker and author of a number of books on sales and negotiation. I'm your host along with my co-host, the one and only Richard Lane, who is the co-founder of Durham Lane, who are an inside sales partner that help businesses to grow their revenue through an integrated sales and marketing methodology. So, Richard, I'm going to hand over to you to introduce our guest
2: for this episode. Thank you, Simon, and uh, welcome to everyone. And I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Ryan Bott uh, onto our podcast. Ryan is the Global VP of Inside Sales and Revenue at Sedexo. Uh, and I know is always full of uh, incredible insights. So, Ryan, welcome to you. And uh, no, no pressure there, obviously. And um, right. I'll, uh, I'll pass back to uh, Simon to get us started.
0: Fantastic, Ryan. Great to have you with us. Uh, first question, so uh, our listeners can go and get to know you a little bit. Could you give us a little bit of background uh, on how you came to be in the position that you're in now?
1: Yeah, thank, thank you, Simon. Thank you, Richard, for that uh, introduction. I'll <laughs> try and live up to that. <laughs> Um, how did I get to this position? You know, it's interesting. So I I didn't know who Sodexo was. And about, um, just over four years ago, I got a call out of the blue that, uh, said someone told someone and said, Oh, you should take a look at Ryan. And I thought, wow, that's, that was quite nice of them. Um, and, uh, but I said, Sodexo who, and turns out it's the 17th largest company in the world, you know, 430,000 employees. Um, so I have 18 billion in revenue, and uh, it's it's a fantastic company that um, that's headquartered out of Paris, France. And so I started first there on in a division called Benefit and Reward Services, which is mostly software and and employee engagement. And uh, I guess I did something right because then they said. Uh, Well, why don't you come help run this for the for the rest of the company, you know, the um, what we call the onsite business, which is the food and facilities. Most people know us for that. And so, yeah, I'm having a wonderful time with uh, a great with a great team, you know, that uh, that I get to work with every day that that is impacting revenue. So that's, that's ultimately how I got here. But there's, you know, there's 20 years of journey before that. Because
0: <laughs> Richard <laughs> and I, we often find out we we have this little club that we call the happy trip up club that people often end up in sales and and more sales, but also
1: sales or marketing kind of by accident, you know? And that's interesting. You say that because pe- people ask, um, yeah, how did I get into the, to the sales side? And what's interesting, I, uh, so I went and got my master's my MBA, um, Master's of Business Administration, and uh, at a university called um, Arizona State, over here in, in the U.S. And anyway, I I knew specifically that I wanted to be in the revenue side of the house, and I knew specifically that I wanted to be a leader. and And so people would ask me, "Well, what are you getting your MBA for?" It was either finance or equities or stock. You know, and I said, "No, I'm I'm going to be a sales leadership." and i didn't really know much beyond that other than i didn't even know what that meant to be honest <laughs> i just told people that was it and and so for i put it in my mind and i kept going and any chance i had to go lead some portion of revenue whether it was inbound outbound whether it was pipeline whether it was actual you know carrying a bag closing i did and uh and i probably forced my way into a couple situations that i shouldn't have and uh, luckily, was given a chance, and that led to more opportunity. And so, so it was um, a little bit by brute force, and a little bit by just you know stick to itiveness, if you will, to get to get a really good job that I really love. And
0: I think Arizona State is where Professor Robert Cialdini. Did all of his research that ended up in the book Influence, if I if I recall, so uh, which is obviously a, a top ten book recommendation for me from all people in sales and marketing.
1: Yeah, well, there's some great professors there, and some that have written. Yes, so Influence is a perfect example.
0: Now I know uh, from from looking at your profile that you've you've won some awards for sales enablement programs, and I'd be really interested. You know, with that in mind. How do you regard or see the role of sales enablement in a modern organization?
1: Yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's hats off to the team. You know, we, we won that award, basically. <laughs> if you look at our, our bosses, our meaning, I have a couple of peers that I work closely with and um, one of them, her name is Ann Procario. And we both report up to, to Bruno. He's the chief sales and marketing officer. And Bruno came in with this vision said, okay, we, we really are going to redo everything. And we're going to put this, we're going to build a, a centralized group that then puts the company in a trajectory of revenue. and um, And that was super fun because one of the things that was missing was a CRM. We had pockets of CRM. And if you could believe it, here's the 17th largest company in the world. <laughs> And we don't really have a synchronized CRM, and so Anne and her team led that effort, and and so you had process that was missing, but then you also had um, you had pipeline that was really missing, and um, and I've got there's sort of a formula that I that I use to grow companies. We can talk about in a minute, but um, but one of the elements is pipeline, um, process would put under what I call productivity, but. Pipeline was missing. And so if I look at enablement and say, what do you really have to do? I need to get people productive and I need to focus on pipeline. And if I can balance those two and get them going, then I'm improving the actual seller, right? I'm getting one unit to improve its output, if you will. And then I'm basically adding pipeline to go solve that. The third P, if you will, so there's three Ps in this triangle, is the actual product. And this came from I was doing, and I was listening to QBRs, quarterly business reviews. And uh, I was in my 75th QBR, probably five years ago, four years ago, somewhere in there. I mean, that's quite a bit. And QBRs, internal QBRs, are where salespeople stand up and they say basically three things in a QBR. They say, here's what I did last quarter or didn't do. (laughs) Here's what I'm going to do this quarter. Here's my forecast. Um, And here are the roadblocks. Here's what I need to get there. And that's the basic tenets of a QBR. Um, and I had written down, captured in notes and in a spreadsheet, why when someone missed a deal did they miss or miss their number? And you hear all sorts of things. You hear, and you hear classic things like, oh, it was price, you know, a no competitor. You hear a lot of, about product and you start to hear pipeline. Uh, and and there's sort sure of about 20 answers. And I took those answers and I boiled them down to basically three valid reasons. And I can tell you why I eliminated price, but price is not one of them. But it truly was three things. One is they didn't have enough pipeline. So they were good salespeople. They had a good product. They did not have enough pipeline. Two was the actual product. They had You had decent pipeline. You had a good salesperson, but no one wanted what you were selling. Yeah. It didn't fit a pain, right? You went and built yeah. a product or a service that nobody wanted. They don't, or sorry, nobody needed. Take the word want out. They didn't need it. And, you know, the third one was their productivity. I mean, I've got great products and offers. We do have enough pipeline, but my salespeople kind of stink. <laughs> they, they couldn't, <laughs> they don't get it done. They're, they're not qualified. They don't know what they're doing. And maybe not at all their fault. We haven't trained them. We have an them. I call that productivity, Right, they just weren't getting the job done. And by the way, they rarely say that in the QBR. They don't. They hardly ever say, "Well, <laughs> we stink." <laughs> <laughs> Who's ever said that? But it's. But that's the other piece. So I I have focused on those yeah. three as part of enablement. My for a long time, um, even before I realized I was doing it, and it and it completely works. And if you will focus on those three, the results come. So I try and improve first identify which of those three is the issue in a company and then let's focus on. Fantastic. Them. So the three
0: corners of the triangle pipeline,
1: product and productivity. So
0: you'd recommend that people kind of yeah. take a take a look at those look at those three as a, as a starting point. Which is fantastic. I think my memory of my early QBRs was just having a managing director that no matter how much preparation I did could always manage to ask me a question that I didn't know the answer to. I just, she just have this psychic ability. I think no matter how hard I tried, he'd always ask a question, and I would go, "I don't know." You know, and it was. Uh... I remember at one stage he said to me, "I'm, I'm really sorry, Simon. I owe you an apology." I thought you were the account manager for this customer, and I said, "Well, oh, I am." And he said, "Not based on the nonsense you've been talking for the last for the last thirty minutes." So. Uh... I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure your yeah. QBRs are a little bit more positive than that, Ryan. So.
1: Oh, I don't know the one that the one that completely jolted me and that uh, that actually made me a much better person. Truly, was when my boss, walking out of the QBR, looked at me and he said, "That was the worst QBR I've ever listened to." <laughs> <laughs> and I and I and I just my, everything sank, and I said, "Okay, give me some feedback." And he did. He gave me lots of feedback and said, "Here's what you need to improve." And it was that day that I really woke up and said, "Wow, I gotta, I gotta do a better job."
2: <laughs> well, one of my while we're on the topic, one of one of my most cringy QBRs when I was uh, in corporate life leading a team, um, I'd had a, a pretty disastrous quarter, and I was in London and the QBR, and I was at customer meetings, and I had this QBR, and I thought, "Oh, I'll just do it from a Starbucks," and it was really, really noisy. And um, and in the end, they they stopped it early, and and I got away with it because they never <laughs> rescheduled it. <laughs> Sorry. But I, that, that's not something I recommend, frankly. But um, no, 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 no. <laughs> just like
0: to point out to our listeners that these are not necessarily recommendations of best practice, are they? So, uh,
2: it's always good to hear a mishap, though, isn't it, to understand what yeah. not to do? So,
0: yeah. yeah and, and but it does. I think. I think Ryan. It just just on a, a side comment as well. It does show how very important feedback is for salespeople's performance and how you know probably too many sales managers sales leaders it's the happy land feedback and sometimes you know people don't get that tough feedback sometimes which can be necessary for you know for people to understand how to do a great job right they got to understand what good looks like and uh, and where they're falling short so you know it's um i think it's an important it's an important part of it um in terms of pipeline so for you, when a when a qualified lead is handed over to to a BDM or or whatever the job title is, what process do you think needs to be in place for that to be done successfully? You know, so the ball doesn't get dropped, or you know, the leads leads not you know utilized properly.
1: Yeah, great question. I I've written a few. Um, there's a few posts on LinkedIn that you know really really hit the mark and um, and go. And get quite a bit of response. And w- one of them on my my LinkedIn that you can look up was uh, about a BDR or or an SDR handing over uh, a lead. And um, you know I can't remember. It got something like nine or ten thousand. Maybe, maybe that's too high. I'm probably <laughs> every, every month I reimagine more likes. You know I mean, you know, thirty thousand likes, but it's probably a few, it's you know five or six thousand. But it was the what I said in that. Post was um, whenever an SDR books a meeting, accept the meeting, okay they have worked so hard, so completely hard uh, to uh, and tirelessly to get that meeting they have they have poked they've prodded they've worked out who to get a hold of they've tried ten people to get a hold of one they've they've looked at three different versions of calendars and um and ultimately landed on a spot and then <laughs> The salesperson has the audacity to say, "You know what? Can you change that?" <laughs> I, uh, you know, I have I have my aunt's birthday party, and and you're thinking, no, don't no, because every time, and I tell you what happens, every time as a leader, I've seen that happen. The client does not come back with the same po- positivity response rate, energy, whatever you want to call it. They may come back; they'll attend the meeting. They do not come back with the same reaction that they had when you first got them excited. And, um, and you lose all momentum. I have never yeah. seen a rescheduled meeting recover. In fact, I've rarely seen, I don't think I've ever seen a deal close when we had to reschedule. So first off, when you're working to hand something off, make sure that as a salesperson, you accept the meeting. And if you can't, you tell your peer. AE to accept, and if they can't, you tell your boss, and if that boss can't, then you get the boss's boss, and eventually you get the CEO. I don't care if it's a qualified meeting; somebody has to take it. And you know this, Richard, because you do fantastic work for us. And I told—I've told several of our SDRs, do not reschedule, right? Do not reschedule, um, and I will take care. I will make sure that, <laughs> that those salespeople take it. So when when you're first—that's first, first happening—I just want to throw that in. That interaction is critical. At some point, you know, you have to make a qualification, whether it's BANT or ANIM. And, you know, BANT is Budget Authority Need Timeline. ANIM was, no, I don't remember fully ANIM because we don't use it. But um, what was it? I can't remember the... They're all versions of a theme, right? An acronym. And now I'm forgetting what ANIM. And people are going to, all the listeners are going to say, all right, you should know this. Um, But anyway, look that one up. But um, we just haven't used it. We use BANT. And so you get to that point where it's qualified that that moment is critical. I have managed both sides and I see the pain on both sides. If the SDR doesn't truly fill out a lot of information, there aren't great notes. um, Especially if you're moving in a if you have a transactional sale, you know, that, that needs to be fully filled out. There needs to be real qualification criteria. There needs to be a clean information in Salesforce, Um, and as much, and as much of it as you can. And I understand when a, when a sales rep, a lot of time gets into a meeting or gets on the phone call and says, Oh, there's, you know, there's nothing, there's not much here. Um, or I wasn't prepared or we, we, we kind of screwed up that meeting because the SDR didn't do their job. I get all that and I know that's painful and that is a waste of time. So, um, that's That has happened on the SDR side. Uh, on the sales side, you know, these aren't, they're not closed deals. They're not handing you a closed deal. <laughs> and how, how yeah. often do we, well, that's a waste of time. They'll take one look and they'll say, eh. And basically the problem I have with a lot of sales attitude about an SDR qualified lead is they basically, they come to a conclusion that's, That's not correct. And the conclusion is, well, that's not what I would find. And they're literally putting it in context of themselves only. Well, it's not really one I would, I wouldn't have got that. And the, I'm telling you, be a little open-minded to know. (laughs) Maybe it's not perfect, but at least have the conversation. Uh, And you really only, at most you wasted, what, half an hour, if you, if you can call it a waste. And, and by the way, then, as you finish the conversation, ask for more leads or, hey, you're not the right person or this didn't seem to be quite a fit. Who do you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, and always extracting the maximum but I mean, Richard, as Ryan said, this is an area that, you know, Durham Lane are specialists in. Your comments on on that handover process and how to make sure, you know, I guess that the leads aren't wasted is is possibly, you know.
2: Yeah, we'd love more clients like Ryan saying, you know, telling, <laughs> telling the AEs that, you know, make the call, it cannot get moved. Um, Ryan's absolutely right. The effort that goes into creating a qualified, meaningful opportunity is significant. Um, at Durham Lane, we use Magic 35, which is our qualification tool. You might call it Bant plus. So it's Bant plus a few other things. Um, I, I think there are some, some really interesting value adds that can happen during the process of handover. Um, and, and, As we're collecting all of our information and then we send that over to um, the sales, the account manager, um, they they should be using some of that insight and dropping it into the next conversation that they have to demonstrate that there has been a transition of information and, and knowledge. Because even if it's subconsciously, the potential customer will go, these guys have actually spoken. Yeah, that's a that's a good thing. So so I think that's really important. The other thing I would say is please always, 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 always give feedback, whether it's a great meeting, whether it's an okay meeting, whether it's a meeting with a next step and an outcome, or whether it's not a great meeting, we need to know because the person's put a lot of effort into creating it, we want to create the best meetings possible and continually improve. And the only way you do that is with feedback.
0: And also, I think, you know, to, to keep motivating the person who's filling your pipeline with these leads, right? So, you know, let's, let's build a really good working relationship, right?
2: I mean, that is the weirdest thing. We we don't have many anymore, but we, we've we had customers in the past that have not told us ever the outcome of any of the opportunities that we've created for them. And then we find out through someone else that they've closed, you know, significant revenues and they didn't want to tell us because we were an outsourced supplier to them, which is sort of absolutely crazy, right? So it's just nuts. But we we haven't got those customers anymore, luckily. But we we we've had them in the past, so it's got to be open and transparent.
0: Ryan, I thought you you know it was a it was a great point about accept it because you've never seen a rearranged meeting work. And I wonder it's, it's sometimes when I'm working with sales folks, I'll say to them. You know, what the customer experiences during the selling process is what they think it's going to be like working with you if they buy from you. And if if two of your people can't even coordinate a diary, that doesn't look like you're very joined up or if you're badly prepared for the meeting or you clearly have not, as Richard's saying, done any of your homework before you go in. That creates a dreadful, what we might call a first impression,
1: I guess. No, exactly, exactly. You see, there's going to be a bit of a context behind this. Um, One of the reasons that I don't accept price is a valid reason that we lost a deal. I just don't. You know, salespeople stand up and they say we lost because of price. I don't accept that. And the reason why is because price is a function of value. So I perceive price, right? I perceive the value of something. I'm willing to pay. I pay for this uh, phone because uh but well i pay what in in u.s dollars here it's been twelve hundred dollars um you know for the latest iphone maybe more and of course my carrier subsidizes some of that but that's what it costs and if i would have looked at this device 20 years ago and said you will pay twelve hundred dollars i would have there's no way and looking at it from the outset it just as an object it's it's completely invaluable but the more i move the more i kind of interact with it, I start to perceive that there's a real that there is a real value there and um, and that's the perception of value. So but that's controlled. the perception is controlled by basically three inputs right? One is the perception of the outcome of the product. okay so what is it that, what, what can it get me? <laughs> what can it do? Two is the perception of the company I'm working with Well do I like Apple? Are they a good company? Are they ethical? Will they stand by it? Will they have customer support? Will they do what they say? Is there a good reputation there? Do other people use Apple? Um, and then three is the perception of the person I'm working with. So if I go to the store and I perceive that this person is smart, knows what they're doing, is is interactive, is is well-educated, um, is not lying to me, then I can basically justify the price in my mind. So it's the perception of the outcome of the company End of the person I'm working with. And and that gets really important. Be- so now to kind of talk about what you said, what we talked about is they're judging you as a salesperson the minute, the second you, you jump on that phone, on that line. They're making judgments about you. They're making perceptions about you. They're making perceptions about your company. And when you miss a meeting, for example, they absolutely add up, unequivocally add up, This company probably does this to other people. This person is probably not reliable. (laughs) And so you have to realize that they are making a judgment call the second they're interacting with you and your brand, you as a person and your brand as a company. And every interaction has to be spot on. We live in a consumer mentality, um, uh, an enterprise buyer with consumer mentality world. That's, That's where we've shifted to. Thanks to technology, we are dealing with enterprise buyers that have a consumer mentality, and there's no way around that. So structure your process in a consumer mentality. Realize that it's kind of like when you go to the shopping store, right? I mean, everything is set up in a certain pattern and a display to to meet your demands as a consumer. That's what they want. It's a fascinating way to think about it. I mean, I know that...
0: We all buy online as consumers, and that shapes what we want from our B2B suppliers as well. So, you know, that's that's that kind of that's a great way to 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 think about it. When when I do negotiation workshops, we sometimes bring in a very, very experienced procurement professional to do a little bit of a session with the sales guys and talk about life. Get inside the head of a proper big procurement, like a hundred million dollars spend kind of person. And I remember us saying to a group of salespeople, yeah, price. Price will typically be something we consider, but it's very rarely the only thing we consider. She said, sometimes it's not actually very important. And I remember looking at this, the jaws dropping in the room, and one of the guys said, well, why do you you always keep asking for discounts? She said, well, do you you blame me? Exactly. <laughs> do you blame me? Yeah. Right? What do you think? I, you know, because nearly most of the time I ask, I get. Right? She said, unless I'm dealing with somebody who's working differently. So, but yeah, I remember just remember all of these. What <laughs> you said? What about price? It was right with. Yep. <clears throat> so, in terms of, so that 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 sort of change that's taking place with with um, our our customers. Um, what's the what for you? What's the kind of the next evolution for the sales animal? I mean, I know we've we've had a lot of people. will talk about. What's happened with the the COVID pandemic and the and the the sudden shift, but 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 broader than that, what would you see? Where would you see professional salespeople needing to be moving towards in the future?
1: Yeah, well, there's a couple major trends, and if you read Gartner, McKinsey, you know CEB, well, CEB is now part of Gartner, um, you know Forrester, they're they're all sort of on the the same pathways. And, and one is just the virtualization of sales. So we can't ignore that trend that's happened, that's happening. It means that sales have gone much more digital. So I, I've actually, we're toying with the word, we're just changing all of our inside sales and calling them digital sales. So so really shifting off of the entire word and um, and just calling them digital sellers. And we we think it will do a, a couple things for the profile of hiring that we're going after, but um, but if you really think of digital selling, uh, now I'm moving all the way from the you know pre-human experience to now I'm interacting with the human, and so it's sort of subtle. They get online, they're looking, and then all of a sudden the chat pops up, and there are other creative things beyond chat right now that that can that can work, right? Um, or even just scheduling a chat is kind of an interesting topic. Um, but you, you get that whole, or or for example, chat bots and just calling out, Hey, I'm, I'm not a person, I'm a chat bot, but I've got a library of 10,000 answers. Let me see if I can help you first. That kind of moves them towards the human, if you will. (laughs) And then they get that live interaction at some point. And that's really, that's really kind of interesting to think through. What I will say on that part of it though, is you don't know what your client or customer wants until you ask them. Yeah. I was on a really interesting panel recent, uh, recently where, you know, we were debating back and forth if salespeople are going to survive. Will salespeople be around in 20 years? And um, this really smart woman next to us, that she was in charge of digital marketing. She, said, she just paused the conversation, the debate, and said, well, have you asked the client <laughs> what experience they want? Did they want to work with a salesperson? And we both were like, huh. That's a really good idea. <laughs> you know, that's quite brilliant. <laughs> but it was so true. How often do we debate about our process? Oh, you know, we we've got this big map of the sales process. Well, where's the map of the customer experience, right? I, who cares about your sales process? Focus on your customer experience, and by the way, it better be the experience they want. So go ask fifty prospects. And we did this, by the way. I, I just recently were launching a new division of a new product in the company, new new services. And we went and interviewed and we said, we showed them a, a, our process and said, for fun, tell us the experience you want. And it, does this line up? And there were about six places out of 25 points. And they said, those that's not what I do. It's not what we want. And we were able to adjust. It was really quite powerful because um, they helped us tell us what experience they want. But one is just the digitization of selling. You've all got to be, you know, prepared for that. And we know that the second I would kind of add to that is the deal size is moving much higher. So people are willing to transact now instead of sort of say 500,000 or sorry, it was, it was about 280 pre pandemic. Now it's 38% of buyers are willing to transact over a million. I'll just say euro in this case, million euro, uh, completely digital without, without ever seeing me live. I mean, they'll see us virtually, but so that's quite that, that's quite a major shift um, that everyone's got to be prepared for. Cause you often see this,
0: you know, that, the that very simple but powerful question. Have you asked your customers? Cause you see a huge amount of mind reading going on, don't you? Yeah. <clears throat> Our customers, customers are never going to spend more than half a million bucks digitally. Right. How how do you know? It's just like yeah, no, I've read their mind, right? You know, and exactly. <clears throat> unless you've got unless you've got some psychics on your team, that's going to be kind of highly unlikely that's happening.
2: I think some of some they haven't even thought about what their customer wants at all, right? So it's not even it's probably yeah. not even mind reading. It's just having not thought about it at all. So. Yeah, yeah. It's,
0: and Richard, for you, where do you where do you see in in terms of the comments Ryan's made about what what he's potentially seeing those those
2: Yeah. Changes in demand for the customer. So I, I've been sort of thinking futures over the last couple of weeks for Durham Lane's perspective. And I, and I'm, and I'm, I'm totally, I will say now, I'm, I'm totally green with all of this, but I think the, the rise of, of voice and AI, um, for my business will be, will be fascinating because I think it started already from an inbound perspective in terms of, You know, if I call my bank, I give them my name and my postcode and they know it's me because they recognize my, my voice. And I'm probably already speaking to people that aren't actually people and I'm, I'm getting triaged, um, with voice. I think taking that to an outbound context probably isn't that far away. Imagine how many dials could be made by a machine, not a, um, not a, not a call dialer, but by an actual machine that is asking probing questions or, understanding who's at this company in this parole position, et cetera. Um, so I, I think that's gonna be a huge, a huge shift and a fascinating area and one that I need to educate myself on.
0: Yeah, I mean I think it, that applies that applies to everybody. So uh, you know you gotta <clears throat> we gotta 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 try to get ahead of the curve, I think, on all these things.
1: I think I think the other thing I would add though is that also the back to the consumer mentality. We've never seen anything quite like this. The, we have all been taught how to purchase um, because of iPhones and Amazon, right? And, and that's, um, that, that is a very unique shift to, to sort of humanity, the enterprise buyer. Uh, we're all conditioned that way. So the, the, the acid test, the way you can tell is you go buy a product, right? So Richard, go buy products for your company. And, and look at how you want the interaction. And I bet you're leaning, I bet you start, you'll pick up on things that you do that say, well, make it easy, make it seamless, make yeah. it like this, make it like clicking a button. Um, and And we all have to adjust to that mentality. I'm toying with writing more about this topic because it's so fascinating to me, which is taking all of the consumer behavior basically the consumer marketers truly i think they have a leg up they figured out how to brand a product um, and make it really easy to to you know uh, procure Um, that mentality is going to work really well in in figuring out how to sell Um, and everyone's making everyone is all our minds whether they we admit or not are all moving in that direction so we need to we need to make it that easy
0: I'm running a session with some non-sales people around, kind of customer experience piece. So trying to <clears throat> trying to help them to feel a bit more comfortable. And I will always mention when you shot with Amazon, you never wonder what's going on. You know at all times what is happening, and that's what your customers want from you. Yeah. <clears throat> you know they they're not prepared to wait now. They want to know what what is happening at all times, and that and we're all like you say we're all being influenced by that. The Amazon effect, I suppose, it might be might be referred
1: to as. And we and one maybe one last point on that. If you take that one step further, what is it that we use to validate? For example, on Amazon, we we do two things: we check references, we look at the feedback scores, and we look to see what will it accomplish. Does this actually work? I need to buy a new hammer. Does this hammer? Uh, you know, I don't know. Does it? How large is it? Does it, will it actually do the job for framing the, the, the house that I need? And I look all through that description to see, I look for outcomes, <laughs> you know, I'm buying outcomes and then I'm checking references. So I make sure that they're not lying to me. <laughs> Those yeah. are the main two things I'm doing. Price? Yeah, maybe, but I'd rather get something that has better reviews and is going to accomplish what I need and pay a little higher price. That's the exact same behavior that our enterprise buyers have.
0: Yeah, yeah, and not 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 understanding what the customer's outcome is is kind of going to be a real recipe for for sales failure because yeah. you know that's that's what they're buying, right? And if you don't know because you haven't asked the question, I mean, I think back to the back to the the ask your customer. That is probably a, a piece of endless timeless wisdom that would <laughs> apply uh, throughout the entire sales process and and beyond. So. That is wonderful. Ryan, thank you very much. for are just conscious of your time and thank you so much for sharing all of your your insights and, and thoughts and ideas. It's been absolutely fantastic to have you with us. Richard,
2: any, any closing comments from you? Uh well I love I love the three Ps, Ryan. So, you know, for anyone listening, thinking about sales leadership and and how to really make an impact on their business, then pipeline productivity and and product. So I think some great things to focus on. And, and like you say, get those get those three right and it, it happens. So yeah, thank you, Ryan.
0: Yeah. Wonderful.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Appreciate all that Durham Lane does, and thank you, Simon. It's been our pleasure. Thanks very much for having you with us on this episode
0: of the Insiders Sales and Marketing Podcast.
1: The
2: Insiders by Durham Lane. Subscribe today to never miss an episode.